Hello, mateys, and welcome to another absolutely classic edition of Britonology. Uh, I've got some of the chaps together. Um, I'm joined by uh, Bethy, uh, <laughs> N- Nate Bethay, as you know him. We've uh, uh, known each other since Chouse. Yeah, it was a cracking time at St. Andrews, you know, I've learned how to speak this way. <laughs> I'm joined by David Badil, <laughs> who went to St. Andrews, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is it is time to talk about Britain's ruling class, the humble posho, the toff, people with no chins who begin drinking at 11am, have dogs with girls' names and mothers with dogs' names, but what makes them tick? And here to help us on this very special edition of Britnology is uh, posho expert and uh, original third mic of Trash Future, Charlie Palmer. I've absolutely no idea why I've been invited to this, to be honest. It's quite offensive. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I am to you. This is this is it, right? Yeah. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thrilled to be invited back mm. on. Um, and it's very nice to see you both. Well, thank you very much. It's a uh... It's been too long since we've reconvened and had yeah. the uh, all of the people who are in some way tainted by Trash Future in the same room. So I know, you know we actually I don't think we have like, yeah, we've never met Alice, for example, in person, even though she's a co-host and has we been talked a co-host to her almost for, every day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea. That's weird. No, because she was ill when we were going to have the show in Edinburgh, I think, and she wasn't able to make it. Uh, yeah. And so as a result, yeah, because because she lives in Glasgow. So, yeah, we have we have not, in fact, met in person. So it's uh it's rare, mm. but um, Alice is actually just me in a trench coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Several Charlies stacked on top of each other in a trench coat. In a in a twenty foot high trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie just really brushes up on Wikipedia deep dives before he goes on mm. any episode. Just be like, um, what do I do? Uh, the uh, the Sar Bomba or something along those lines. And yeah. it works. People Fucking believe love the it. Bomber. It's my exactly. fa- my favorite bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, I know very little about the intricate details of British ruling class people. Uh, I, I, I've gotten better at recognizing accents. For example, I told Milo, because yeah. I, I have a house share next to me. People who live there, who own the place, work for the foreign office. They, they're currently posted in Israel. They keep renting to Sesh House lads and lasses. And from the accents, I'm picking <laughs> yeah. up that these people are probably posh. And I asked Milo, and I was like, oh no, I could hear them laughing through the wall and immediately knew they were posh. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm I was pe- waiting for you in the car outside and their door wasn't open and I could just hear like posh girl noises, like <laughs> literally through the door. It's genuinely like the way the Sims talk, like the Simslish, but it's just posh yeah. Simslish. And I, I picked up oh, on it. Yeah. And I was like, I raw, I raw. <laughs> There's a different tone. If you go to, I don't know if you've ever been to a pub in Chelsea. No. I I really recommend it. You know how you go into a pub most of the time, Mm -hmm. and if it's a loud pub, if it's full, you go in and there's a kind of background level of noise, which I'll do a bad impersonation of. You go in and there's a or even a if it's a really rattly pub, you go into a pub in Chelsea and it's and it's genuinely there's genuinely just a different tone to the like background level of noise in the pub, and you're like, oh, I'm in a posh pub. Yeah, I believe it. Absolutely. You walk into a posh pub and it's like. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like all kinds of tones that that you and even I never use. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. One of the one of the best bits I think I've ever seen on. I mean, there aren't many good bits on Mock the Week, but I think this was Mock the Week where they were like, um, there was some footage of Prince Charles somewhere, and they were like, and we got lip readers to find out what he was saying, and then the audio just cuts in and it's just. <laughs> I think they got Hugh Dennis to do that, didn't they? In like a mm. oddly funny. Um, I think he basically he's got a Prince Charles in the locker, hasn't he? He has, yeah. 
bit like that, isn't it, Prince Charles? It's yeah, kind of it. fitting in a way because last night everyone saw that, or m- many people saw that GB news clip where Lady Colin Campbell was speaking with her insane accent. Wild and I accent. I realized, mm. okay, she's born in Jamaica and everything. Yeah, so the thing with Jeffrey Epstein was not a pedophile. <laughs> he was uh, technically in a Is that what the accent was? Because I wondered whether it was like really, because there's like early... If you go back early 20th century, and obviously mm-hmm. like the royal family, there's loads of jokes about this, but yeah. like there was this sort of pan-European aristocracy, which I think is still mm. a bit true. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. But like everybody would marry, like if you were posh, a certain level of posh here, you'd go marry a prince from Austria or something. Mm. And that would be the deal. So you ended up with these, this like, um, you know, hilariously like pan-European sort of semi-German accents going around. And yeah. if you're Princess Michael of Kent, you yeah. have an SS major for a father. And so it's just sort of like, no, it's a real German accent. To bring that up. Yeah. Is, that, is that true? Is Her that, father yeah. was in the SS. She was born wow. in, in Nazi-occupied Sudetenland. Uh, Phenomenal. Yeah. But hey, you know what? Bygones be bygones. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's why she's so normal, I think. Um, yeah, you just think, you, you think of Princess Michael of Kent and you think a regular woman... Who understands normal things. With normal opinions. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like the royal family are kind of, are kind of a good place to start as sort of the, the er poshos. But I also feel like in some ways the royal family are less posh than some of the aristos. Like, because the royal family, they almost have to be a bit more normal because they're in a position of prominence. I don't think that's true. I think they've just got good PR. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, I don't know. If, you, if you've seen that video that did the rounds of, like, Prince Harry, Nazi costume, peak posho. Prince mm. William, absolutely off his tits, doing weird dancing on his own somewhere in Val d'Isere on a skiing holiday, peak posho. They've all got that in the locker. Yeah, yeah, Prince, yeah. Prince Andrew, uh, peak posho. Pizza <laughs> Express, yeah. <laughs> the, the poshos, they do love woking Pizza Express. It's one of the better branches of Pizza <laughs> Express, and they recognize that. If you go into Woking Pizza Express, you will actually hear that kind of like <laughs> sound. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not. I mean, I've heard, I've heard people speak sometimes uh, in sort of media job things where I've heard accents that just seem like they've been preserved in amber. I'm not going to mm, lie. Yeah. But then invariably, that's not even the weirdest one. And for you, both of you, you have the ability to sort of like immediately pick up on little details and suss out some of the tells. Whereas for me, like I can kind of tell at this point, I've been here almost three years, uh, whether or not, whether an accent is kind of revealing about someone's background to some extent, but especially Mm. if it's regional or especially if it's weird, like a super weird, super posh accent, I can't really tell you much more besides than like this person probably... There's levels as well. Like there's there's a level of posh accent which is because you know there's there's two ways you pick up accents right there's like um you know immediate surroundings based on kind of where you're from and immediate surroundings based on like social the social stratum that you are educated in yeah. in particular sure, yeah. and when you're posh enough where you're from ceases to be a factor well that well that's true generally that's yeah. true for both of those like there's but mm. um i th- there's two kind of types there's like rp english there's received pronunciation english which is like basically what i sound like and kind of what milo sounds mm. like um, <laughs> I, I was trying. That I meant that as a compliment. I was trying to distance you from the poshness. <laughs> I was like, I can't say what just. I can't just yeah. say what Milo sounds like because it would, um, mm. you know, it would uh, yeah. denigrate your roots. 
Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, that's, that's fucking right, lads. It's what Milo sounds like. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> All right, darling, be lucky. Yeah. Which is so funny. To briefly interrupt you, uh, Milo and I did a video gig in Liverpool, and it was really funny because to me, Milo's accent doesn't strike me as being particularly like, RP like it just to me it sounds I don't know maybe in the same way that I have an American accent I have a Midwestern accent but like you've told me that at times I just sound really American to you and I suppose well, you, you sound very like CNN you sound extremely like broadcast American yeah in, in Midwestern and I English guess I sound quite broadcast two years of British broadcast English. experience yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is this but a broadcast <laughs> we, we were in Liverpool and if one of us either of us went up to ask a question at like a hotel counter or like a concierge or something if I asked the question they'd be like Oh, you're American. Where the fuck are you doing here? And with Milo, not <laughs> yeah, a great from Tipperary. No, yeah. Oh, I, I thought Scotland. But, <laughs> but, Liverpool but, near but, Inverness. But, but mm. Milo, by comparison, if he asked the exact same question, they'd be like, oh, fuck off, you fucking southern cunt. Like, it was so wild. Did you get some aggression? so much like de- more demonstrably, like not like open aggression, but like a lot like ruder to me than Way they were to me. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was funny because Nate noticed it. And I was kind of tuning it out because I'm just kind of used to it. I know like if I go to the north, there is a high chance that people will be rude to me because of the way that I sound. But, but then it was when Nate picked up on it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, no, it was, I've it was been absolutely. I've literally never had this. <laughs> <laughs> they ju- they just respect you as a, as a, as a tall Maybe man. you should try not being a cunt. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what I'm saying. So I interrupt- right, it doesn't happen everywhere, but yeah, Liverpool was really it was particularly it was bad for it. I always have a good time in Newcastle. The Geordies are always game for us. Newcastle's great. Yeah, I do enjoy Newcastle. It's yeah, good. and it, and it's amazing that Newcastle hasn't built up more pent up aggression towards poshos who've been imported because Newcastle is one of the like. Um, so it, it, it's not that Newcastle's like a pretty decent university. But if you've mm. been to a very, very high achieving school, Newcastle's one you can kind of cruise into. So yeah. it's one that ends up with a lot of like, um, like shows relatively who... smart, ordinary people and dim Etonians. Exactly that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few universities that are like that. Exeter's like that. Yeah. Um, Leeds is Leeds, a bit like that. Yeah. There's uh, Edinburgh is like that. Oh God, Edinburgh. Um, I think Edinburgh might be the absolute posho capital. Yeah, of there's, Great there's all these. Yeah, these, these ones yeah. that are like genuinely quite difficult to get into unless you've paid an enormous amount to have a really, really phenomenal education. Um, mm. In which case, you can do absolutely no work and just go to like I don't know Henley the whole time yeah. and then still cruise through Europe. We should talk about we should talk about society events in a bit. Actually, we should talk about Henley and stuff. That'd be good. Oh, Henley! That'd be fucking fun. hell. Well, well the, I don't know if you've got if you've got a rubric or you've got a show notes to go off of, but uh, yeah, some, I, I, yeah, I was thinking about this recently. That this was a phenomenon that I noticed that I have um I have neighbors and the it's a married couple and the. The woman is like a BBC journalist and her father was a BBC journalist and the, the husband is um, a former British Army officer. They're both from Scotland, born and raised in Scotland. They have RP accents. They do not sound Scottish at all. Yeah. You would never guess it. And Milo mm. was like, do you realize these are posh people? And I was oh like, oh my God, there's so much stuff to come back to because there's also another phenomenon in poshness. And I, I'm sorry, we, we no, should come back ahead. to like first principles in a minute. Sure. But, the, but there's an amazing, very specific phenomenon among posh people which is that posh English people, for some reason, Scottish aristocracy is seen as like more desirable huh. than English aristocracy. They love pretending it's to be really Scottish. It's really weird. The so amount like, of English aristos from Oxfordshire you'll see wearing fucking kilts. Yeah, and they'll claim it's their like family tartan <laughs> sure, because their sure. great, great granddad was like, Laird of somewhere like very mm. bleak in the yeah. Grampians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and and they like they all Laird do of heroin the, tune. The, the single poshest English thing you can do mm. is Scottish dancing. 
There you so have like it. Scottish reeling. If you, you will go, not catch if Scottish you do, people doing if it. You do, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's always true, to be yeah. fair, but it is the single poshest English thing you can do. If you get invited to a Scottish dancing party, you know that every single person there is going to be posh and English and with like a couple of token mm. Scots. I, I'm trying to think of what yeah. would be the, like the, the most, this is going to be an event full of like hedge fund manager people level of, because in America, so much of it is tied to having money. Mm. And like mm. there is the old money yeah. stuff and I don't really know a lot about the old money stuff. And then there's obviously like more sort of uh, nouveau riche style things. But like to me, when you, we used to describe Scottish dancing, to me, it's like if you, if someone's like, Oh yeah, my kids competing in a youth triathlon. That screams these people have fucking money to me because that's yeah. just like a sport for example that no one plays unless they have a lot of money. And also like their I parents almost, are insane. Yeah, reeling and, to me almost feels like it wouldn't be the hedge fund managers. It would be like they'd be doing something more esoteric because no, like, hedge, hedge well hedge funds are relatively new. And, and, yeah. and hedge funds are a new invention. You would be you would maybe be a stockbroker mm -hmm. or you would be a barrister. Or you would be, you know, there's God, jobs, the are jobs that have been around for hundreds of years. Gotcha. gotcha. So you might be like a merchant banker. You might be an investment banker, yeah. but you're probably not doing high frequency trading. I, I, I did, when I used to do corporate media stuff, uh, one of the mm. clients I worked with was a hedge fund in the UK. It was an right. American hedge fund with their office in the UK. And one of the things they told me when we were prepping stuff was that they were really unused to the idea of doing media at all because British head funds don't even have like a website. Like it's yeah. such a closed shop thing. But I noticed that a lot of them, like the guy had gone to, um, uh, I think he'd gone to like Middlesex or something like that. Like he had gone, or uh, I'm trying to think whatever, what the other one was. It was, uh, it was a university, it was like a Russell Group University, but it wasn't like a posh university. But like those yeah. are the people who were like mm -hmm. running the office or like, you know, moving money or that kind of a thing. It did strike me that, whereas if you went to like, this pub on the corner this is like on german street oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. where there was like a ba like a barrister's chambers nearby those guys on the other hand were like extremely yeah very 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 fancy oh, and you could yeah. get that vibe yeah 100 percent. and and i think uh also there is so i, I think it's I, I think it's interesting that should we should we go back to sort of first sure yeah let's do it and, and talk yeah. about like we keep digressing and that's my and fault talk about but I'd like love to where, hear that, yeah. where the posho has has come from because i think there are lots of different um you know, articulations of poshness in the UK and lots of different kind of caricatures and stereotypes and, and characters. And, and you know, there's lots of different ways in which it manifests itself. But fundamentally, it's all come from the same place, right? It's come from, and, and this is where it will be totally alien to the, to the US. That is French. Is it's come from the idea that actually the, you know, fundamentally the feudal system once decided who was in a particular social class mm. and the people whose families used to be in that social class, the top one, the landowners, would quite like still to cling on to some vestiges of that authority, even though in theory we now live in a world where those, those standards legally at least don't apply anymore. So it's about, and, and, the, and what that explains is the, an, is the, the kind of posh um, preference for the traditional. Like the idea is that it's stuff done properly is stuff done traditionally mm. and everything newer than that is a bit uncouth and a bit improper and a sort of fake version. And actually the, the tasteful way of doing things, the proper way to behave is how to behave a hundred years ago, i.e. Yeah. back when they had all of that power. Yeah. Yeah. So it's clinging on to that, really. So it's sort of that. It, it's really a. It's a tragic story rather than an aspirational story. Sure. It's like a. It's a story of like slow decline and desperately clinging on to the kind of superficial vestiges of where mm. the power used to come from. I think about this sometimes that you know, 
to an American, you look at the fact that the House of Lords exists and you're like, what a fucking joke. But then if you, it's like, it used to be that, that the king had to convene with the barons, for example, to get anything done. That doesn't exist anymore. Well, the first, I mean, obviously the, uh, the, the Magna Carta, which is the like, you know, obviously the kind of, it gets touted as the sort of founding document of English law Thing and putting limits on the monarchy mask. and a great moment for democracy and all of that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was like there was pretty low bar for what delegation of power or like, you know, devolution of power was going to sure, be, yeah. which was like instead of it just being the king, it was the king and the landowners. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which at the time is pretty revolutionary. I, and, and I guess in, in a way, it's just because... Uh, there's this joke back and forth, you know, about Americans mm. and, you know, th- there are things in America that are from the very, very late 16th century, but by and large, it's, it's all much newer than that. Especially the further yeah. West you go, it's really not even much more than 150, 200 years old. And you're reminded that like, yeah, things seem archaic here, but if you contrast it with where it was, even just say 200 years ago, it's, it's come a shockingly long way. But I think the thing that's different is that in the same way that like, do you really care about du- the DuPonts or the Vanderbilts or you know all these things in in America? It's like, well, they don't. You don't have the. You now have new money robber barons. You know the Jeff Bezoses, et cetera. But then you start to dig, and you're like, well, you know, every basically every small town or medium sized town in America had a Carnegie Public Library because of Carnegie. Andrew yeah. Carnegie, you know, Carnegie Mellon University is this great big research institution. It's because of him and his money. Same with Vanderbilt mm-hmm. University. Um, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper from CNN. His mother is Gloria Vanderbilt. Like that aristocracy is there, but it's nowhere near as entrenched as here. And there's nowhere near as many of them in a way, because quite frankly, like what you get in the United States and I, and I presume the same in Canada too, Mm. maybe a little more Anglophile, but still similar. is just so different than a place where like you were describing some of these titles and, you know, heritages have been passed down for over a thousand years. That's it, right? Like the the people who did that in the States, I mean, Sort of the people you're talking about, the the original wealth came from you know a way of making money that sort of still exists. Mm. You know, it, you you get in, you do a railroad, you do a bit of oil, all of that stuff. All of that yeah, still it's exists. Fundamentally, commerce. The way of like in, like inheriting a vast tract of the country from your father, and having peasants. If, if you were the eldest son, yeah. and then just like taking that over and that being like your right. Uh, and that being the reason your family still has status is like wild. And there's a competitiveness about how old your family is, which is hilarious because mm. obviously everybody's family is the same age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. When people are like, um, I can trace my family back to the Middle Ages, I'm like, I've got some bad news to you about everyone else's family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it basically means like how long ago your family has been rich and powerful. Yeah. And mm. that's seen as this like seniority. Yeah. Which yeah. is very fun. It, it is weird where you're like, oh yeah, this is an elite that literally predates capitalism as opposed to an yeah, elite yeah, yeah. in America that were sort yeah. of the first well, successful capitalists. No, exactly. It was very yeah. funny that you should bring up um, like the Vanderbilts as like 19th century money or whatever, which in America is kind of the oldest money you've got more or less. Because you have some people in yeah. like like the original colonies in New England who were like earlier yeah, yeah, money, yeah. but by and large the big like the people who wielded power and who still have that kind of like high society influence mm. is the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. so I have an anecdote about this. Um, both of you will recall uh, a girl I used to date from California mm-hmm, whose mm-hmm, maternal mm-hmm. grandparents were both English mm-hmm. and had moved to California in like the mid 20th century, and uh, they were both very posh to my mind. 
However, her grandmother was posher than her grandfather and never ceased to remind her grandfather about this. Her grandmother's money were those kind of aristos who no longer had any money, but were very posh. And all the men were like army officers and whatever. And they kind of like lived in this sort of like ramshackle cottage that they couldn't afford to repair, etc. Whereas her grandfather's family were extremely rich uh, factory owners, but who had made all their money in the 19th century, which led her grandmother to consider her grandfather to be nouveau riche. <laughs> <laughs> that's the but what's but uh, but i think there's a there's a sort of and and i think we'll touch on this with a lot of different kind of archetypes and stereotypes mm. that we're going to talk about but there's a sort of existential clash in poshness now where there are some people who if you are super old money but you don't have any money anymore which is lots of them because like mm. you know fundamentally fortunes rise and fall unless you're guaranteed land by the king and they're no longer guaranteed land by the king, mm. so some of them lose all their money. Yeah, that guy's dead. That that happens. Um, so lots of th- lots of those people, not all, but lots of those people, uh, in the absence of financial superiority, will cling on to the old titles and the old circles their family moved in, and you know all of that shit, and really cling on to the trappings of poshness um, uh, to kind of as part of a sort of insecurity that they're actually losing the seniority they once had. But then there's, and you know, obviously what happens is like the young, the, you know, the younger the generation gets, the more everyone's like being posh isn't exactly in at the moment. Um, Mm. So there are loads of people who, you know, I know Milo knows who are, who go into kind of stealth mode. And there are various different, you know, you can do the thing where you just kind of moderate your voice a little bit. Yep. Um, or you can do the thing where you fully like change voice, change persona, change how you dress, change how change what job you do, change who mm. you hang out with, change your political beliefs, but all out of this like insecurity about appearing to be like your parents. Yeah. It's basically like a re- it's basically rebellion against your parents, but taking the form of like I am going to renounce all of poshness. The thing that's going to be interesting, because we're both still in our late twenties, is is to see whether the time those, of recording is to see whether those people who like are now are kind of um, living in squats in Deptford and like DJing twice, but a, also twi- wearing a signet ring, DJing twice a week, um, will in ten years just inherit an enormous amount of money, move to a big farmhouse in the country, and go Scottish dancing a lot. And I, I think it's entirely possible that a load of them will. And I cannot wait. <laughs> Scottish dancing, I do kind of want to return to because I felt like that was such a like amazing, like if there was a set yeah. of people you wanted to avoid at Cambridge, you could not go to Scottish dancing and avoid a good I number of them. I never went to one there no. for that reason. Because um, I remember there was a girl also that who we both know who was at my college who her only criteria for dating men was that they should be as posh as possible. Um, And she used to go to Scottish dancing specifically to meet the most Habsburg jaw motherfuckers she could possibly find. (laughs) But I think this is a because because I think there's a there's different types of because because what we're talking about is snobbery here. We're talking about like and and that's a term that obviously gets thrown around an enormous amount. Mm. But but I, I think the the motivation for snobbery is never as active and deliberate as we'd like to believe. Like we never go like nobody ever says like oh I'm not going to talk to that person because you know they're beneath me and it might undermine my social status if I'm seen with that person. That's never the mentality. What the mentality is for a load of these people is like 
I only know one way to behave. I only know one worldview, one set of hobbies, one set of conversational topics. Mm. And if I talk to somebody who doesn't share all of those, I have no idea what to do. And I cannot hold a conversation with anybody who does not have these things in common with me. Dog racing, you say? Is that a kind of pedophilia? Well, dog racing in a way is okay because you can talk about horse racing and it's the same. But if you you can't talk to somebody about skiing, rugby, horse racing, Scottish dancing, Mm. um, you know, whether you've been to the same places on holiday, you know, it's all of... Which school you went to. It's all of that stuff. Who you know in common, that becomes like a... So that becomes an amazing uh, posh conversational talking point. Yeah. Is people going, oh, you must know Binky. (laughs) And because and then, it is, and you're this, like, which one? <laughs> because it is this, uh, uh, as as our Canadian friend would say, unique social microclimate. Um, it's, it's a bit like the mafia. Like everyone has these absolutely inscrutable nickname. Wait, Binky Constance or Binky Fingers? And he was just like, <laughs> what? But this is the thing, right? Like, basically everybody, basically every person is the same. Like, there's not like a genetic mindset difference sure, yeah. between. Mm posh people and non-posh people, although some of them would like to think that there is. Um, <laughs> the skull size. Fundamentally, <laughs> everybody has this impulse to hang out with people who are a bit like them in some kind of way, whether it's to share something in common, whether it's you have a similar view on the world, similar sense of humor, whatever. The, the problem is if, if you're raised in a way that teaches you that there is a set of rules that you have to live by in a way that you have to behave, the it coaches you towards a particular group of people that you have to hang out with for the rest of your life. And it's, I think, pretty difficult to break out of that because everyone else, by the time you're about 25, thinks you're a knob. <laughs> yeah. I mean... So, it's, so again, I, get, I think it's fundamentally quite a tragic story rather than like a malicious one most of the time. Mm. Oh, and I also found, like, again, encountering... Uh, uh, and I think it goes back to a bit of conversation we were having off mic where, like, I found that a lot of the real hardcore poshos that I encountered at Cambridge were, like, more kind of affable and easier to get on with than the mid-tier trying to be posher than they were people. Well, this and that's gets... kind of what that girl we were just talking about was like. She wasn't yeah. even that posh, but she was like keen to marry up. And as a result, was way more insufferable than a lot of the just kind was of like bumbling posher. Was she sort of explicit poshers. about this? Was that like a... Or was it just like the people she hung out with it were a bit just, like that? It was just kind of a powerful vibe that she exuded. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And um, she would like very explicitly, but she she had that like real curse where like she was in love with all these guys who were like extremely posh who didn't even know she existed. But there were also a bunch of guys who were slightly less posh than her who were all in love with her. Who she was like, but they're disgusting. <laughs> Wouldn't even look at them. Genuine, genuine yeah. Jane Austen energy. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It but, was. Um, um, but this gets to the heart of quite a lot of this. Like the the people who are kind of posh, posh, mm-hmm. where there's like um, you know just absolute social confidence and comfort mm. that I think we've probably all met one or two people who are so posh yeah. that they, there's no insecurity there. There's no like, it, there's just the genuine conviction that you're still the most important and powerful person in the room and everybody is sort of subject to you in some way, which, you know, if you ask somebody, they, they wouldn't say that that's how they feel, but there's a little bit of that. Where they feel mm. like, and, and what that does is really powerful because it just means you can like, I bet if you meet Prince William, he can just walk into a room and he owns the room mm-hmm. because he kind of actually on legal principles, if you go back, it, it, you know, the fundamentals of British land law, actually his grandmother does fundamentally own the room. Um, <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's why she wrote that book, How but, to but, Own the but Room. But there's that, and then, and then there is the opposite of that, which is, mm. and there are loads of different groups of people who are trying to affect poshness. Yeah. Mm. There are people who are a bit posh, but have, you know, no longer got a lot of cash. And so mm. the poshness is sort of all you got left, all of that sort of thing. So the poshness gets dialed up. Yep. There are, as Milo said, the um, people, it, it's so interesting. There's a kind of wealthy, you, you know, you know, the people. kind of adoption curve of what's like a sophisticated thing to do, you know, like being on Facebook isn't cool now. Um, but it was in 2004. For exactly example. that. Yeah. Yeah, There's yeah, the yeah. same thing with posh stuff. So, for instance, being in like a members club, depending mm. on the members club, apparently there are now like loads of clubs in Mayfair where basically all of the members are either kind of Russian oligarchs or like Essex boys who've made a load of money doing whatever business they're in. Right. And the people who think of themselves as like sophisticated, old money, posh English people have like migrated and they've moved out because they're like, that's not a posh place anymore. Um, not even so any you know, young boys there. So you know, like if if somebody goes like, oh yeah, well, fabric's dead now. You know, there's no good. You sure, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the tourists have turned up in fabric now. There's like the reverse of that, which is that like um, this place is now too new, and everybody who is not everybody who wasn't a member in 1600 is now a member. We've had to decamp from Boodles and start meeting inside a Fabergé egg. <laughs> That's like I'm filled with Essex people. See, see, I, I think Fabergé eggs are probably quite nouveau. Oh, yeah, possibly, yeah. The Russian Tsar was a bit... Yeah, like, exactly. That's it's a it. bit of a wide boy. The, the, thing, the, thing, that, <laughs> the thing that gets me is um, dealing with this with regard to when you live here and you look at, for example, property listings for rental or potentially like when you're like, well, I wonder how much it would cost to buy a place. Mm. Yeah. And you look at the laws with freehold versus leasehold and how leases work and stuff. And the fact that you might legitimately in, you know, a part of London or another city elsewhere in the country or a town, you might buy a home and technically you don't own the land that the home is built on because an aristocratic lord owns that land on a thousand year lease or a 500 year lease or a hundred year lease or something along those lines. And it has to be renewed. Mm. To me, I'm just like, the first time Milo explained it to me, I was like, you must be fucking joking. Like if, you know, if Duke Nonsington owns this land, like mm. he technically is your landlord, even if you own the house, it's built mm. on forever. He's like, yeah, yeah, that to me, it's not necessarily that's like a skeleton key to the social relations, mm. but it's more like when you realize that there are people that because of hereditary titles own land and it's not just like, oh, they own a nature preserve or a park or something like, no, they own like places where city buildings are built on and things along those lines. Mm. And huge amounts of that land is owned by the crown. Yeah, the crown estate. See, the crown estate's the really big one, but like obviously there's other ones too. That to me, I feel like then you start to realize like, oh, okay, well, so there is still, it's not just like, you know, the descendants of people who still hold on to titles. Like there absolutely is still like a lot of the way, or at least a portion well, of how Because we never had our like constitution moment, right? So our, our law is a mess. It's all just the, this fudge between the past and the present. And to be mm. honest, like, I don't know. I don't know about you, Milo, but like, uh, I don't think anybody really thinks about that. I no. don't, other than the it's house, only when Nate brought it up, the house like, of yeah, Lords is, is sort of lightning rod for a lot of that criticism. Mm -hmm. And that, like, if they, if anybody talks about like, well, they talk about two things, and we should come to the second mm. one. They, uh, when people talk about like residual poshness in the UK, they talk about the House of Lords and they talk about public schools. Yeah, 
Those yeah. are the big two. I mean, we're absolutely going to have to get onto public schools. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, are. I always yeah. find the House of Lords to be a bit of a weird, like, kind of misnomer because there aren't that many hereditary peers left. They're mostly no, appointed, but, but and and they've been getting a lot of they've been getting a lot of heat recently, haven't they? Which is quite fun. Yeah. Because the Times did that big investigation into, uh, and basically, well, I say big investigation. Somebody at the Times basically had the bright idea of looking up all the hereditary peers and working out where they all went to school, and it was like mm. there's I don't know forty five of them, and something like thirty of them went to Eton. They literally. Most of them went to one school. Yeah. The majority of them. It's absolutely yeah. exceptional. And also, there's still like primogeniture. So it's still firstborn sons inherit, inherit. their dad's seat in the Lords. And I, th- I think this is still true that if you have an older daughter, she doesn't get it. Well, yeah. what gets me about that too is that, I mean, if you look at the way the US Senate works, like it's very undemocratic in how it's re- represented, but it's still apportioned by state. It's not yeah. passed down by hereditary title. No, yeah. And so, like, in a way, the House of Lords, while it's not completely neutered, it still is a thing. Like, it doesn't have as much influence as it used to have. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of overstuffed with, like, the Andrew Adonises of the world and stuff like yeah. that. But the fact that it exists and the way it exists, and like you said, that there is still primogenitor and there is still hereditary titles, mm. that to an outsider, I mean, it, it's like for me, if somebody, you know, who uh, isn't from America visits and they, t- they mention something like, oh, I was in a store and I saw just a random guy just carrying a gun on like a holster and he just wasn't a cop. He was just like a person. I'm like, yeah, it's open carry shit. Like, I'm so used to it that like, yeah. I mean, I notice it, but I'm not like freaked out by it. Mm. You know, that kind of a thing. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I feel like if you grow up here and you're sort of, you're like acculturated to it, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's how it works. But to me, like the concept of, of, uh, like a lord owning like the leasehold on a property or the way that council tax works, for example, they're like, oh no, you're going to pay your landlord's fucking property tax for them. That kind of a thing, which I realize isn't, isn't hereditary or anything like that, but stuff like that, to you, you grew up with it. For me, I'm like, that makes no sense and is insane. Mm. Um, and I feel like if you start divulging the, the, the details about uh, public schools, I'm going to feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like public schools are an important part of the discussion because like, I mean, I think we've covered your kind of your stratospheric poshos, your actual mm-hmm. landed gentry, uh, uh, like who there just aren't as many left. But the public anymore. schools are probably the, the, the best remaining way of entering poshdom. Yeah. Should you wish to do so. Yeah, if you send your kids to a public to a public school, you've basically elevated them to being posh. Because you know, there are there are ways that you can make a lot of money and there are ways that you can and this goes back to the conversation about like members clubs and things. Mm-hmm. There are ways that you can, you know, in this country start a business, every so often one of them makes an enormous amount of money. That doesn't make you posh. That does mm. not get you into the places that posh people go or when you go into those places the posh people will go, well, isn't it a bit of a shame that places like this are now filling up with people like that? Yeah. yeah, 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 That's, yeah. That, that is the case. We're going to have to decamp to this stone chamber. That is similar in the US, but I feel as though it's particularly that way in like the oldest cities in the US and places right. like in New England, places like New York. Whereas, for example, like people who like the sort of community around people who go to Stanford, for example, who go to private schools in California, like oh, that God. is still California regional elite, mm. but mm. that is so new money compared to, you know, the people who like mm. are members of like the union club in New York City and that kind of a thing. Yeah, and, 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 st- and the longer something's taken to build, the longer it takes to shake, right? And, and so there's a bit of that. But if you send your boy to Eton, he's, he's kind of there. Like there might be... I don't know, like the depending on the kid and the people he meets, like I'm sure there are examples that um, 
you know, people can give of like some kid who goes on a scholarship to Eton and ends up getting the shit bullied out of him because his parents aren't posh for five years. And I'm sure that happens. But I think probably most of the time, once you're there, once you spent five years with those kids and you meet those kids' parents and you meet those kids' friends and you go on holiday with those kids, you go to university with those kids, you bump into those kids at work, you know, that suddenly that's put you in a, because that's when you make all your friends, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that mm. kind of sticks with you, I think. And it gets you into the right university, all of that stuff. So I feel like that's where that, that's the, that's the entry point. And I feel like that's almost yeah. the latest entry point because I think actually at, once you're at Cambridge, for example, if you go to Cambridge, really divided. Like the, the people who went to the right sort of school in inverted commas end up hanging out, not even deliberately, just like that stuff in common thing again with the other mm. people who went to the right sort of school. And the people who didn't end up going, Christ, this place is socially intimidating and terrifying. And I'm going to hang out with the other people who find this place socially intimidating yeah. and terrifying. Well, that makes, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. Like, there's like a fair bit of middle ground of people who will like hang out with both groups. But there's like, I, you get like, I definitely know well, you. This you because, were probably that middle ground because quite yeah, strongly. because I was. Like, you had a lot of posho mates, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I like you know, I, I technically speaking, I was a comprehensive school admission to Cambridge. Although, like, I mean, I wouldn't go around saying that because it would be a bit taking the piss. Uh, because I am very middle class, but like I'm certainly not posh. I'm just from quite like an ordinary middle class family. Um, and I definitely noticed that like there were weirdly like quite a lot of people that I encountered at Cambridge who were like hardly from like particularly poor or deprived backgrounds. They were just from like middle class families in the north, but like weirdly come into it or sometimes in some cases the south, but primarily the north who'd come into it with this like like bizarrely like aggro perception of all of these like Etonian cunts that they were practically going to have to like fist fight and so like weirdly they would sometimes go into these social situations where they were going to have to meet a couple of Etonians with such a sort of like aggressive attitude that like it would kind of like confirm all of their preconceptions about it whereas like most of the Etonians I met were just kind of fine like I mean there were some absolute choppers when they're course. bad they're real when bad. they're bad they're really bad but most mm -hmm. of them just like they want to be liked as much as anyone else does like they're kind of they're not going to go around being like openly rude to people just because they didn't go to Eton or whatever like that would be kind of a faux pas <laughs> even in yeah. there yeah. <laughs> I mean I have I have friends in New York who went to like Harvard and Yale and I will put it this way you'll meet normal Yale people by and large they exist you know like they're, they're, they're mm. completely fine normal Harvard people rarer but then again that's a completely different system because yeah. harvard does although it admits tons and tons of legacy people and it admits tons of people from private schools especially in new england it also does admit people from state schools around the country so mm. there is more of a mix of that but i mean and also harvard's a private school as i understand at cambridge oxford they're not those are state schools but yeah they're, yeah, yeah. There yeah. aren't any private universities in Britain apart from like no, there's there like are a few. one. There's, there's uh, University of Buckingham. Buckinghamshire. There's also what's it called? Oh, the AC new Grayling's the, one. Yeah, the yeah, new yeah. College yeah. for the Humanities. Ah, yeah, and yeah. I think there may yeah. be one or two others MC as well. MC Grayling on the mic. Um, yeah. But they're like jokes in the UK. Like the private universities are like no one goes to them. All of not. the elite schools in America are private universities, but very relatively few people who go to those schools go to private schools uh, or what we call you guys call public schools. Yeah. Um, obviously, that changes if you go to like the upper echelon Ivy League schools, but by and large, especially like elite schools or regional elite schools, most people mm. go to public schools. Yeah. Whereas my impression is that is absolutely not the case here. And in fact, the more elite university you go to, the higher percentage it's going to be that people went to public school. By the way, and this is some cracking, uh, cracking Britonology here. Can mm. I just, can I just correct you a detail on the public school sure. versus private school vernacular? Yeah, mm. yeah because because those are not equivalent. 
there are such things as private schools in the UK. Yeah. Public schools are a specifically defined set of schools that it's were covered nine by something called the Public Schools Act. Got it. Back okay. in like Christ knows like when. The early 19th century. Um, so the public schools are not even all the private schools. They're a specific old established Got subset okay. of the private schools. Yeah, and the reason yeah, why they're that's, called that's some Britain for public yeah. schools is because at the time, the really posh people wouldn't go to school. They would be taught by private tutors and governesses. Yeah, so the idea was anybody who had the money could go there. So they were established which were, which at the time all was the like, public. Wow, anyone wow, who democracy. has that much yeah. money can go. That was, that was nouveau riche at the, the time. That was like, imagine schools. going to a school where you mix with <laughs> other children. Yeah, rather yeah. than having a governess. Yeah. yeah. I've hired a French pedophile who will educate you. <laughs> well, I have one where you could, when you could pull your resources and hire a whole school of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> In the United States, there mm. is there is like the kind of old money elite tier, what we call private schools. Mm. When we say yeah. public school, that means state school. When we say private school, that means anything that's privately educated, like private education. Like, like what the words yeah. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing like is that, that a public school is still a private school. And yeah. like, if you referred to one as a private school, people wouldn't say you're wrong. Like, yeah. as in, yeah, yeah, public yeah. school is but just like an additional there term, that like yeah. it's kind of hard to pick up on and i appreciate oh, the explanation yeah. because yeah, yeah like i yes. i feel like it's sometimes I, I cheat by just saying privately educated because that at least kind of gets the point across as opposed yeah. to all of like the nuance that's there it's kind of expanded now because i mean there are like technically it is literally nine schools which are public schools and you can look up which ones they are yeah. but yeah. like it's also expanded to like some of the bigger and more expensive private schools are considered it's, to be public it's, schools it's by association that it, it, yeah that they that the schools themselves wouldn't claim but like if you say public schools it conjures yeah. up a sort of general catch Where, whereas like I'll, I'll just run down the list for you in the united states like all of the the ivy league schools i can't remember all the names but like they're all par- uh, private um if you think of any regional elite school like uh and people might might laugh if you, but like even the small elite liberal arts schools or like the bigger schools like say stanford or university of southern california or washington st louis or university of chicago or um northwestern or any of these like elite schools and New York University, for example, yeah. every single one of them is private. Not a single mm. one of those is public schools. Yeah. University of Chicago, you'd think that's a public school or a state school because it sounds like it. No, it's private. Whereas like uh, UC Berkeley, UCLA, those are actually state schools, but they have mm. a kind of upper echelon sort of like uh, like reputation. So they're, they're treated like elite schools. Got but it. There's yeah. almost mm. no elite schools in America that are not private institutions with enormous like multi-billion dollar endowments. Yes. It's insane. See, but- I sort of thought they were all like that. The distinction between like UCLA and Berkeley and the rest of them, I hadn't picked up on at yeah. all. Yeah. And you will mm. find some schools that have like really, really good reputations that are state schools. A couple of would be like the University of Virginia mm. or um, I don't know, like... Off the top of my head, UCLA, UC Berkeley is one of them. Um, there was a time when the University of Wisconsin or UT Austin were really considered great schools. They've been destroyed by horrible Republican governors, so it's not really uh, the same. Mm. But like, yeah, that 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 it's just a completely different system. Like, I remember somebody pointing out to me that in the UK, although, like for example, Oxford and Cambridge are consi- are, pub- are state schools. Um, you know, something like seven percent of uh, adults in the UK were privately educated but a significant number much larger number of them were who go to Cambridge you, is about 40% people who went to yeah. private schools yeah. and the UK journalism as a profession in the UK is like 52% privately educated columnists apparently according to an article i read by Gary Young more columnists as a percentage went to public schools yeah. and then to either oxford or cambridge well, cuz actually being a columnist it still follows primogeniture <laughs> well let's let's talk about that because i think i think it'd be I'd, i think it'd be good to cover what 
these schools are like yeah, and why I'd love to they know, have yeah. the impact that they have. I, I remember seeing mm. something. I remember reading Roald Dahl's memoir, which is a book for kids when oh, I was a boy. kid. Boy, yeah, when yeah, I was like yeah. 10. And I remember him talking about the public schools. His mom was like, you can go to one of these. And one of them involves wearing a straw hat. And he was like, yeah, fuck that. I don't want to do that. Ah, Harrow. <laughs> Uh, I I think he or I think it was he think I think he went to Marlborough because he didn't want to go to Harrow. I think lots of them used to have straw hats. I think the one I went to used to have straw hats yeah. back in the day. Harrow, Wild. they still yeah. wear a straw hat all day, every fucking day. <laughs> Nerds. I didn't I didn't meet a single Harrowian at Cambridge. I think if you went to Harrow and you're going to Oxford, you have to go to Oxford because you're too weird. <laughs> you're too weird even for Cambridge. Well, Cam- well, Cambridge was like the the basic distinction at because you know you're going to schools that send enough people to Oxford and Cambridge that Oxford and Cambridge have like separate reputations in the eyes yeah. of the school. There's a type who goes to Oxford and a type who goes to Cambridge. Because you're coincidence you're, that most of our prime sending, ministers went to Oxford. Because you're sending 20 a year to each. Yeah. And um, so it was very much like Bullingdon vibes went to Oxford, white tie, cocaine, um, you know, genuine hatred of the poor. The nerds went to Cambridge. Got it. Got and it, got that it, got was it. kind of look. That's a loose some cocaine. It's a loose. It's <laughs> a loose distinction. Yeah. Um. But but basically these schools and I and I went to one. I went to a six hundred year old all boys boarding school, um, mm. which was wild. And some of the teachers were older than that. I'd love I'd love to pretend that I hated it the whole time. But like I hadn't been to any other schools. It was just school. I yeah, still exactly. have friends who went there. Yeah, like of course, of course most I did. Of my close friends were at that school with Charlie in his year. Yeah, that's actually <laughs> there are there are a couple, aren't there? Yeah. It's a weird. Um, it's a weird. Like no, it's I, weird. A weird. I kind of get it. Well, a bunch of my really close friends when I was a, a new lieutenant in the army going through training, I made friends with a bunch of guys who went to the Citadel, which is like a private military academy that still commissions people. Not everybody who goes to it becomes an army officer or a military officer, but obviously most people who go through it do. And so, like, I get like I have no experience of going to a military academy. I'd never want to, but I knew lots and lots of people who went to it. So I get how that can happen. We're like, oh yeah, I make friends with somebody, and then I get to know their friends, and we like we get along and stuff. And then I I know weird, you know ephemera about the institution because yeah. I've been right. around it. Yeah. I, I yeah, have yeah. such a like weird level of knowledge about the sort of like it, it, incredibly like internecine history of Winchester College and the things that yeah, go on there. Right. I'm going to talk that, to you a little bit about how that works because I think that would be fun and then we should talk yeah. about some of the words that were exclusive to the school that we used. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's let's talk about the fundamentals and then let's get on to like the fun mm-hmm. stuff sure, and like yeah. the really daft shit because that is great. And so, so overall, I kind of remember starting at that school and the school does two things absolutely brilliantly. By the way, it's an amazing, amazing school in terms of does it turn out kids who have like ambition, um, are, are they articulate, are they confident, are they, you know, curious about the world, all of those things. It was, and look, I don't want to generalize because this was like a, the school I went to was definitely had a reputation as being like the nerdy one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, in, in loads of ways, we were like taught to have interests in stuff and taught to like pursue them. And all of that stuff was amazing. Like we, we could put on plays, like I directed plays that I just put on with like a friend and like there was a big theater that we could just use and stuff like that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was 16 and doing that. It was awesome. So there is some of that that at like a very basic educational level, it does amazingly well, but it does two particular things as well. The first thing it does is it tells you you're special. They tell you you're special the entire time, which has lots of different effects. It mm. has the effect of raising your bar of like what a reasonable accom- accomplishment in life would be, um, because every everybody who is you know all of your friends' parents have done amazing things, 
or horrendous things, but like you know, they've achieved in with a capital. Well, horrendous a. things on a national level. Yeah, exactly. You know, or a global Guinea coups. This or, sort of thing. Yeah. or even a global level. In my my, my brother's year was. Um, a guy called Mario Ho, whose dad was Stanley Ho off of uh, Macau, who like owned Macau. Ah, yeah, yeah, um, yeah sure. Which, which is cool. <laughs> and he w- wasn't a criminal. <laughs> and um, it's important legally he is yeah, not a criminal. He isn't or wasn't. I think he might have died now. Um, mm. They, because you've had to like go through an interview and several interviews even, by the time you get there, it's very easy to convince all of these 13 year old boys that they're absolute geniuses and they're with loads of other geniuses. Mm. And that they're going to go on, go on and do special things. And being told that the whole time uh, works as a kind of carrot and a stick. You don't want to be the one that lets the side down. You want to like go do cool stuff with your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's motivating because you're told that you're special and you're a genius and the sky's the limit. So you're like, maybe it is. And, you know, then... Uh, they get people to come do talks at the school. Like after David Attenborough came and gave a talk at the school. Ian McKellen came and gave a talk at the school. Um you know the royal family might you know the couldn't really understand what they were saying prince but, yeah. edward would just like turn up occasionally and like oh prince mm. edward's in today mm. and it just like there's just an exposure to the elite very yeah. broadly defined mm. that instills a lot of ambition in those kids and like it assumes a level of achievement yeah, yeah. my school we had an address from uh Keith Mills of the uh, British Olympic Committee, yeah. uh, who opened opened his uh, prize giving day address with um, uh, who it was just after we'd won the Olympics bid for 2012. So this was I think this was about 2006 maybe, and uh, and he went, who here likes the London Olympics logo? And then no hands went up, and he went. Well, I like it. <laughs> That's I, uh, amazing. I might have one to one up you. Uh, my wife went was in high school when, um, if I remember correctly, when in the beginning of the uh, primary season for the 2000 presidential election. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Al Gore was still the vice president. He came to her school and he asked the, the what we call a convocation where you have like everybody together in, in, in like the auditorium or whatever. All right. How many of you brought guns to school today? Needless to say, Al Gore, kind of a dickhead. But yeah, that uh, that and that's actually like a a high-end fucking guest coming. The only thing I can think of of people coming to speak to us when I was in high school was like once a year, a cop would come and tell sob stories about don't drink and drive. But like, mm. that's basically it. Did not. I act- did it and now I'm divorced. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I went to a high school of like 3,600 kids and uh, yeah, it's just a very different experience. Did not uh, did not meet Ian McKellen. Um, but if I had, I would have been like, hell yeah, Gandalf, you, you keep keep rocking on. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a different different world, honestly. And, it, and it's and it, more than the like, yes, we had great teachers who taught you very well and all of that stuff. But uh, but more than anything else, it's like the, the expectation level that's set and also and all of the ceremony around it. And, uh, and, you know, you've been in the army, you get how that stuff works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the... the the formula of of it, of it, the the pomp and the ceremony and all of that stuff makes makes is designed mm. to make you feel like you're somewhere important, doing something yeah, important. Yeah. You convey the works. importance by the fact that like there's this lineage or there's this history. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, this is a thing that so many people have gone through and that kind of a thing. Yeah, mm. no, exactly, I get it. exactly yeah. that. So there's definitely an element of that. Um, but also, then you're just around a, a load of other kids who also think like that. So it's this very kind of cocoon space where everybody is like that and. Um, then it kind of pops you out the other end and then you've got all of these like contacts for life and it, and it's already becoming like, you know, I sort mm. of didn't see most of the people I know from school for years at university while we all went off various parts of the country to be students other than the ones who were at the same university, which was a few. Um, but now kind of in the world of work, there's yeah, yeah. like things turn up where I'm like, 
oh, I need a somebody who's an expert in this to come and talk to me for a work thing. Oh, I could call that friend from school. I think he's doing that now. Or I think he's doing... And you start just just now. And I think actually the older we get, the more, the clearer it'll be. Yeah. You mm. start work, you start realizing, oh, this is how the network works. This is how it works. Cause, cause it doesn't work because the, like we all put hoods on and go to meetings. It works because just like, you know, a lot of people who are now very increasingly high powered in places and like, that's it's almost occasionally just that's though, useful. There's a structure, and then you've got this other structure that's sort of on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just funny to me because I remember um, encountering in my old job, encountering um, one time I was at a thing where I was taking pictures for an mm. event, and this guy came up to me because he recognized like the company that I was working for and was asking about some investor thing that I knew nothing about. And I was just like, I don't really know, but like the people mm. who handle venture capital stuff, like, I don't know if you know anything. He's like, oh yeah, I know that guy. I went to I went to school with him in like Groton or some fucking place, like yeah. some private school in America. Mm. And so it was like it was like elite guy recognizes elite guy's name, and now they can email each other. Whereas for me, I ran to one of my <laughs> the high, complex my, mating dance. I ran to one guy. of my middle school friends at that company, and it was both like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like it wasn't like a signal. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, like, yeah. like you really like <laughs> very very different. <laughs> You're just yeah. like shh. <laughs> but it does like so. I do. I work for an ad agency now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was like floundering around a few years ago trying to, I thought advertising sounded like a fun thing to do. The people sounded fun. Mm. The work sounded kind of fun. It is, as it turns out. Um, but uh, when I was first trying to get into it, I was like, I was in a crappy job earning very little money, like people with working with people who are bad at their jobs, no ambition, proper like nine to five, everyone clocks off, goes home. That's it. Let's do another bad job again tomorrow. And so I was like, I kind of want to be somewhere where like everyone's a bit pumped uh, to be there. And, you know, there's a bit of motivation and everyone works a bit harder. And, you know, because fundamentally, whether or, whether or not I'm doing something valuable, I'd quite like to kid myself that I am. Sure. Um, so have you considered starting a podcast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, Like every man, <laughs> I have considered starting a yeah. podcast. Have you considered starting this podcast? I, I thought long and hard about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um where was i so yeah so i was trying to get internships and things in ad agencies and i and i only really realized in hindsight because like on paper how wild this was because it seemed really natural at the time a friend of mine's girlfriend worked for an ad agency and mm. we were just like at the pub and i didn't even ask she was just like look if you want an internship i can probably get you an interview like, you can probably get an interview and, and she like got me an interview i had an interview with this guy and he didn't want to hire me, but handed me on to somebody else in a different department who did. And I got this internship and she was the girlfriend of a friend I knew from school. Mm -hmm. The guy who interviewed me the first time round had been not just to the same school, but the same boarding house as me. He was, he was, <laughs> the age gap was small enough that we'd had the same housemaster of the boarding house. Like the same guy had been running the boarding house when oh, wow. he was there as when I was there. Um, and you go like, Look, I don't, th I don't think I'm shit at my job. I think I'm good at it. But there are plenty of other people who would have been good at it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. don't get to do that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it's just though these tiny little moments that actually I think lots of people don't even think about. And there's this justification that people do, where they're like, um, "Oh, well, yeah, but if I hadn't been good, I would have been found out." And you're like, "Yeah, that's true." But there are loads of people who would have been good. Yeah. Mm. No, absolutely. And, and when I think about that in the U.S., that absolutely exists. It absolutely, it's way more intense in New England and in like East Coast stuff, but it exists everywhere. Anywhere there's like a mm. regional elite center, that kind of yeah. thing, it exists. The only difference I think is that 
there's perhaps less of a culture of, of boarding schools outside of, say, New England. Yes. Like where my wife is from in Rhode Island, there's a ton of boarding schools, but like it's less of a thing outside of it. And also because the US is such a big country, it's not like there's just a small list and that applies to, you know, everything. Yeah. Like it's it's just there's just more going on. There's more like regional centers, that kind of yeah. a thing. But I think the system, the concept, what you're describing. Hundred percent. Well, that's the same. pretty universal. I think yeah. it's just the channel it goes through sure. here is a little. But I different. think that some of the some of the cultural peculiarities that you guys have talked yeah. about those don't exist at all. And I think that's more because yeah, it's like yeah, ossified yeah. stuff from centuries of this being a thing. Well, there's this yeah. whole thing that British people just love, like doing like like sniffing each other's bums when they meet each other and like working out exactly what stratum of society everyone. But I is but in. I suspect again that's true in loads of different hundred percent countries. It's just the the form that it takes. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of is, but like the the extent to which British people do it and the rapidity with which they do it. Because I was talking to I was talking to an Australian friend uh the other day mm. and, and he said it's interesting because um because there's such a hierarchy of universities in the UK because people don't go to their local university here. Yeah. Well or like people going to high achieving ish universities don't yeah. go to their local yeah. university, they go wherever in the country. So that mm. means that this hierarchy establishes itself nationally. He said in Aust- in Australia it's very different. Um, there are more posh high schools than there are in the UK, but but most people go to their local university. So that you so basically, you know, the way in in London, people mm. ask, "Oh, where did you go to uni?" In Australia, they ask where you went to high school, yeah. because yeah, right. that's mm. a better tell than it is here. I mean, here yeah. it is like if you're a super posh, you yeah, can it ask only about tells schools. you something if you went to one of about fifteen schools. Yeah. Weird because the only place I've seen schoolboys wearing straw hats in my life was in Brisbane, Australia. Have not yet right? seen it in yeah. the United yeah. Kingdom. There we go. Because mm. I haven't been around any Harrow of the, any of the towns to where yeah. these yeah. schools are. Um, but I will say also in the US, one of the things that you might find interesting about this is that if you look at like elite companies like like the hedge funds and yeah. tech companies and stuff like that, and you look at who they hire, they hire people who went to Ivy League schools, people who went to extremely like elite liberal arts schools, and then randomly people from universities in the local area. So yeah. like if you want to work at like a Google analog or something like that, then like and if you can't go to Stanford, or you can't go to UC Berkeley, you can't go to UCLA or USC, then go to like a community college or like a state university near there yeah. the chances are way better of you getting a job there than same with like in new york city than if you were trying to like get hired from where i'm from from indiana if you want to if you want to do the elite shit from indiana go to chicago for example people hire things they it, you know again it, it all comes back to this like this is this is the principle upon which everything we've talked about mm. is based people want to hang out with people who are a bit like them yeah and mm. and i read there was a piece that Derek thompson did in the atlantic i think last year which was really good and he did this whole statistical study of uh, sports. Mm-hmm. And you know how like people always uh, for grad recruitment jobs, for high pay, for, you know, for the classic kind of high achieving routes, banking, law, all of that yeah. stuff. They say they like having sports on your CV, on your application. They like people who've done sports. And they say, look, that's about drive. It's about routine. It's about teamwork. It's about all of that stuff. And then you look mm. at the- It's about the, showering together. He asked people- um, for this piece, which sports they valued the most? I know exactly what you're going to say. Rowing, sailing, uh, all of the shit that you can only do if you're super rich. 100%. 100%. And, it, and yeah, it's yeah. just, and I'm sure they don't even realize they're doing it. It's just a little dog whistle for like things that you have in common with other rich people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you don't play field hockey competitively in America unless you go to like a private school, for example. Yeah. Or like you said, crewing, that kind of thing. Yeah, that stuff. Very, yeah. very much so. Well, I got to ask, say, in the last, say, 10, 15 minutes, I want to talk if we if I could get from you guys some anecdotes about 
types of posh guys. Yeah, great. Because I know that our audience is going to love that shit. Should we quickly cover some Winchester words first? Because these are great. This is, your audience are going to love this, I think. I don't know. I don't want to speak for them. Um, God knows I'm not one of them. But but there's definitely a, um, I think there's a demand for this, which is that where I went to school is such a unique social microclimate, as our Canadian friend would say, um, that there are, that there is a lexicon of words that are only used at that school uh, to the point where th- there are like there were like traditional ones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and literally you can buy a, a they're, they're called so this is for my school in particular but i think versions of this exist in other schools i think it was just very formalized in my school because as i said it was the nerdy one um they were called winchester notions notions was the word for like our oh, words and um, there were kind of old-fashioned ones. Like in theory, you were supposed to call a bicycle like a bogle. That was the name for a bicycle. It was like, <laughs> oh, you. There's no, uh, you know, one of the school rules was no bogles in St Michael's Passage, um, yeah. and you know stuff like that. Which but St Michael wasn't but very happy But there were newer about, ones that we genuinely used for five years because we because the because no, oh, partly because it's uh, socially exclusive sure. in that you know a particular type of person goes there but also that it's socially exclusive in that it's a boarding school yeah, yeah so yeah. you don't go out you're hanging out with only each other so you've this sort of like evolution of language that happens across the whole world happens in isolation in like a bubble this so is there are so much like the army it's not so even there are funny. Wo- i'm mm. sure it is yeah that makes so much sense but there are you're words the that- army is full of in britain <laughs> <laughs> But there, are, but there were words that exist, and I couldn't tell you how these came about. And some of them were genuinely quite useful. So, like, um, uh, there was a word we used the word "goive." There was a word go- "word goive." The closest um, analogy I can think of for "goive" was like "give a shit." Mm-hmm. If you just say "give a shit," you'd go "goive," and something could be a "goive" if it wasn't worth giving a shit over. You could "goive" something. It could be a verb, like "oh, I'm going to goive maths." Would be like "I'm not going to go to my maths lesson today." And so that was a thing. Uh, if something was good, it might be naze, <laughs> N-A-I-Z-E. Uh, but and to have a naze was also to masturbate. <laughs> so, so read into that what you will. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there the was- The best thing you can do. Uh, we also had, a, we had our own sport. Um, Winkies. So, so this is, so you know about Boris Johnson sometimes talks about like the wall game or the field game. So yeah, yeah. Eaton has two sports, which is incredible. Um, we had one. And fives it was, as well. Well, and fi- we did. We played fives. Yeah, but they have specifically eaten fives. They do. Yeah. That's true. Um, but we we had a sport called Winchester football, or uh, or Winkies for short, or our game with a capital O and a capital G, <laughs> mm. and and it was basically like um, a sort of mad combination of like tennis, football, and rugby, and God knows what. Um, where you had to like kick a ball backwards and forwards. You were only allowed to kick it once and you had to kick it over your opponent's line and you kicked it and then it was their turn to kick it, but you could chase it down. This is like fucking Calvin ball. And then there were scrums for some reason <laughs> and everybody got broken ankles in the mud and it was honestly so much fun. But I think literally nobody alive knows every single rule of Winchester football. It, it's it's there was, there was some wild. Pe- they, they were some people who did know it, but they all died at the Somme. Yes, I, yeah. I, think that's, <laughs> I, think, I think that's true. Which I think, in many ways was the world's they, biggest game I think they may have Winchester sent football. some people to die at the song. <laughs> yeah, well, um, no, it's funny that you should point that out. Just I was thinking about this. Um, in the U.S. Army, you have, a, you have like a rain poncho, and there's a mm. thing that's technically called a poncho liner. Yeah. It's a nylon down blanket, basically. So it's yeah. nylon, but it's got like down in it, sewn up in pockets, and it's typically worn like it's designed to be worn as a liner of the inside of your rain poncho, but really what it winds up being used as your blanket when you're in the field in your sleeping bag, in yeah. like a Gore-Tex shell, on a bed, etc. And yet the word we call it, people call it, is they call it a whoopee. 
And I have no idea where that comes from. I think yeah. Whoopi is kind of like a baby talk word, like a kid's word for like a safety blanket, but I'm not sure. But like, if you talk to anyone who was in the army, in the US army, you talk about something called a Whoopi, they know exactly what But if what you're, you're in about. this like socially insulated place yes. mm. where like stuff develops yeah. totally separately from how it does in the rest of the world, yeah. that happens and stuff yeah, can yeah, take yeah. on. And I think that's just a superficial emblem of how like a, an entire culture can develop sure. in isolation to the rest of the world as well. The reason why yeah. I bring it up though is because it's such a childish word and it's bizarre. Like yeah. as an adult, I should feel weird saying it, but because mm. like it's just the thing that we got used to, yeah. I don't because I'm like, oh, you have to remind myself yeah. like, oh yeah, well, that's not a thing that civilians know, for example. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can see how, especially if you do it at so young an age, because yeah. starting mm. at 13, like yeah. you really do wind up kind of like inculcating this sense of separateness and specialness and otherness and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. And you can see how that then like perpetuates yeah. itself. Oh, yeah. My favorite one before we move on to the, to the archetypes was, and we're running out of time, aren't we? Um, no, it's okay. my, my favorite one was, uh, there was, there was a term rel, which was for somebody, oh, which was short for, do use which was occasion. short for irrelevant, which was if somebody was rel, if they were like, there were like 120 kids in a year group. So you like would know all but about five kids in your year. And there were like the same kids who like, nobody would quite know those guys. And those, they, those guys were rel. Huh. Um, but you could become, it was such a phenomenon being rel that you could become like famously one of the rel kids in the year. Uh, and you could become almost like a bit of a celebrity because it would be such a running joke that you were rel. And at that point, you would become rel known. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm having my yeah. mind blown here because yeah. it's just, I guess it's like I went to the junior high that was like where I lived by. And then I went to the high school by where I lived by. Like, so there were pri uh, private schools in, in Indianapolis where I'm from, but like they were all religious. Yeah. Like they, they were all like Catholic or Jesuit even or By the way, that still is a thing here. So, so the bulk of these are like Church of England schools, but there's almost like a separate circuit and a separate kind of parallel hierarchy mm -hmm. among like Catholics, for instance. And yeah. if you think you're being nonced at a regular public school. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. And Go like, to a and, Catholic And like one. the Catholic schools until very recently were, you know, were almost all taught by monks and stuff. Um, so, but there is this whole, like the schools like Downside and Ampleforth, which are like yeah. the same, but for Catholics. And if you're Catholic, you'll go to one of them. Got it. And okay. it, and it is and, one. And, that, and that forms its own like separate society, parallel yeah. society that carries on through life as well. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. wild. Just guys who encounter each other at a drinks event and then say, oh yeah, do you remember the house master? And then both give each other a thousand yard stare <laughs> um, and then move on. Well, like, yeah, like, where, I, where I'm from, there's a ton of like, because of the, the, the Ohio Valley, there's a ton of German Catholics and you're like Western European Catholics who migrated there. And so people go to German Catholics is old school. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, there's like schools like Cincinnati, St. Xavier or Brebeuf Jesuit where I'm from. Um, and then like the, the, like the, the sort of apotheosis of that education in the Midwest is to go to Notre Dame university yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. or, but maybe go to Catholic university of America or something like that. Or I think Washington and St. Louis is also Catholic, Catholic sure. university of America sounds made up. <laughs> oh no, it does. It sounds like a Walmart school, but it's actually like a legit school. Um, but it's just weird because once again, like, that's like a regional subset, but it's a such a small and like the thing that, that binds it is not necessarily that it's like an elite status thing. It mm. does confer a certain elite status, but primarily it's that your family is really religious. And yeah. that doesn't I mean, I know that does exist here, but it's just not as prevalent. No, it's not. Like, I mean, my here friends I think from, even being Catholic is more of a social signifier than it is a religious thing. At least for posh Catholics. My friends from middle school who went to Catholic school, it was because their families were extremely re religiously observant Catholics. It yeah. wasn't, it was, some of I it was an elite thing. I think that's true in lots of yeah. other countries too, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Well, clearly, though, we have to move on to the guys because you've talked about yeah. the, the uh, guy. Streetonians and uh, <laughs> we've talked about Streetonians a bit, haven't we? Yeah, yeah we, we have done a couple of those. Yeah. I mean, it's worth it's worth expand. I mean, there was a guy there was a guy in my college at, at Cambridge who um, uh, had been to Westminster and had been expelled for roofing himself <laughs> in a fit oh, of yeah. adolescent experimentation and then very much became a dj <laughs> yeah. i think he stood as actually a dj yeah that that does that does happen doesn't it and and yeah and they'll do things like you get etonians who are like um uh that they're really embarrassed that they went to eat or they'll do things like they'll refer to it as um slough comprehensive Yes, they'll talk about it as like, oh well, I went to school like near near Slough, yeah, yeah, mm. and um, but more like near but, Windsor, mate. But but it becomes <laughs> sort of all encompassing. It it becomes, I think, I, and I think it must be like deeply anxiety inducing for somebody to be one of those people who's been to Eton and then spends their entire life trying to disguise that. They're in, mm. like every element of their personality, their voice, their fashion sense, their interests, yeah, is all fully designed to try and reclaim some sort of like street cred, yeah. Um, you know, but usually while in every material sense actually embracing it. It's like a very weird They'll still tension. go skiing with their parents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just be wearing like a full palace tracksuit while they're there. Not while they're yeah. with their parents, no. Because <laughs> I, I think there's a load of people who have different modes. Um, and I think this is true of loads of people who are... And, you know, I think this is probably lo- true of loads of people who are from like less privileged cultures as well. Like people have... People who have a distinction between like their home life and their grown-up life yeah, end yeah. up having this sort of dual personality that I think comes out w- with a lot of the poshos too. The only thing I can think of that's comparable to that is you will notice that people who went to Harvard who are like weirdly embarrassed but also want you to notice they went to Harvard will be like, yes. I went to school in yes. Boston. Yes. I went to college. You've seen, we, we do that with Oxford and stuff yeah, here. Yeah, like yeah. That's, that's the thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milo and I have done it on this podcast yeah, I went to over the last hour. Yeah, or they'll be like, oh, when I was in college, and they'll always say, when I was in college, when I was in college, and it's like, which is like, People do say that in American English, but also they don't. The way that it's phrased, it just feels like back in college, when I was in college in Boston or something like that. And it's like, well, which university in Boston did you go to? Yeah. Oh, well, I went to Harvard College. Like, yeah. it's just one of those kinds of things. Like, you do pick up on it when you're around those people yeah. for a while. I, I like, find myself a lot saying, like, at uni and being vague about it because I think when you mention when you mention Cambridge, it's going to get a reaction. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and even if it's not a negative reaction, you just sometimes can't be asked to have that conversation. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, for yeah. me, it's like, well, I just say uni or university because like we would say college in America but here yeah. we don't say that because yes. college means something different so like mm. I went to Indiana University Bloomington like it's not exactly an elite school but it is like the flagship university of the university system so like yeah. in Indiana it's like oh well you went to IU like that's at least yeah. sort of like a thing that people recognize but here it sounds it's like you're a, you're a regional elite Nate yeah, in Indiana yeah no I would have had to have gone to Notre Dame for that I think yeah. but uh but it's one of those which would have been weird but I would just say that like that does exist, but I think another thing too is that it's not for a school that's like your middle school and high school. It's for your university. Yeah. I feel like that having that experience of like, oh, well, here's this thing that I'm is both like a status symbol and also something that I'm so, sort of feel as though I have to hide. It's very different when that's like, like I don't give a fuck yeah. if people know where I went to high school. Like, who cares? Like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you're very, very young when you know, you're going through this, and so it's just kind of. I feel like it is a little different when it's your, you know, if you start at 13 and finish when you're 18 versus right. starting at 18. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So there's, I'm trying to think who else there is. There's, so I think there's a distinction between, uh, and we're talking about like there's the Clapham guy. We're talking, so, the, so there's, well, but but that's so there's a that's kind of like the polar opposite of the Streetonian. Hundred percent. So that's, but that's um, 
also part of a sort of broader phenomenon. I, I think there's... Maybe a, a bit of touch, touch rugger on the common on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a tough week at JP, mate. It's been a tough week at JP. Exactly Obviously, that. Uh, me, me, you and John T, just chucking a, chucking a ball about. Throw an egg around, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Couple of, uh, a couple of beerios. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to go and meet Clotilda for a drink. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a distinction, I think, between like, uh, there's there's definitely a lot of the ones who seem a bit less posh are often people who have who had or are better at hiding it are often people who had some link to London growing up. So yeah, London yeah, necessarily, yeah. you just had a bit more independence, a bit more exposure to the world. Sure. Where while yeah, you were growing like up, London day school, public school boys yeah. are very different. It's much more like yeah, I started doing ket when I was thirteen. Yeah, exactly um, that. That's they're much more likely to be streetonians, and like even they, though they won't actually be like they, they'd know um, what to wear to Henley, but they know what to wear to a big warehouse rave in Walthamstow as well. Got it. Like okay, they, you know, okay. and they wouldn't be, yeah, and they wouldn't be fully out of place at either. Like it's that's which is an amazing skill to have. Yeah, sure. Um, but there's there's those guys, and then the people who tend the people you can spot from a mile off tend to be the ones who grew up in the country. Because when you're posh in the country, you properly li- you just don't see anybody who isn't posh. Mm. Like ever. Yeah, um, you might have seen maybe the video, in a shop Gap Yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. In which yes, the yes, guy yes. says just like Fulham. Yeah, and like yeah, it's a powerful. End. Yeah, most of the most of the like the Clapham legends are very much like outside of London people. Yeah, I mean like one of my friends who's like pretty posh and from Bristol and went to a public school in Bristol. All of his friends from public school live in Clapham now. Yeah, whereas I guess it's the closest point. Whereas to I think, whereas I think a lot of a lot of the posh people who grew up in London at least ended up with this sort of idea of like what's cool. Sure. And yeah. like a yeah. lot of them are they're still super posh, but they probably live in Hackney. Um. Yeah. So it so it's that I think. Or they live next to me in Peckham. Yeah. It's different yeah. aspirations. <laughs> they, yeah, they probably live up like there's Cam- quite, there's, there's they'll quite live up few. Camberwell Grove. Yeah, that yeah. Sort of, you know, it's the the Cam the Camberwell the. Uh, what do you? How do you say? Clapham to Camberwell axis is spreading towards Peckham, and yes. and, and mm. then you also have because you have the Goldsmiths campus in Newcross, it's also there too. And so you yeah, just, uh, yeah. Well, the, Peckham is very streetonian. You will get a lot of them down that way. Mm. Um, I think also, and then amongst older poshos, you have sort of interesting. Oh like, yeah, you've got the real like you've got your like your horse people and your country pursuits people, and then you've weirdly like I'm really. A kind of posho that I really love is like elderly Kensington posho who have kind of slowly become aware that they're dressed. now surrounded by oligarchs. Yeah. Um, and they drive a Volvo from 40 years ago because buying a new car would be gauche. Oh, yeah. And wear like corduroys that are almost as old. Yeah. And there's this very like, there's this weird like aesthetic love for having things that are shit, almost <laughs> as a symbol of how rich you are. Like you have a townhouse on Belgrave Square, but you haven't renovated your it suit, ever. Your suit's falling apart, but do you know who the tailor was? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's dead. Yeah. That's why I can't get it repaired. Yeah, you can't. You do, they don't make tailors like him anymore. Incredible. No, that's right. Yeah, um, he died in the Boer War. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's a um, you know I I, I think there's a sort of insane i don't know where this comes from mm. sort of psychologically just this idea that like actually like spending your money is a terribly a terribly superficial thing to do and actually mm-hmm. what you should just do is sit on it and then die <laughs> yeah um well, i mean and a lot of those people are also drunks like a classic- oh the, the posh drunks are amazing because obviously like the 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 real structuring and formalizing of your social life, which happens when you're a certain level of posh. There are kind of rules for drinks parties and mm-hmm. rules for dinner parties and rules for your Scottish dancing events and the opera and the mm-hmm. balls and like the all you know, when you're a certain level of posh, your entire social life is like structured around these events. 
and and so it can just become a cover for this like insane drinking that nobody calls you out on because it's this like formal event and everyone's very being very polite and like some mm. guy is literally has literally had to go and throw up and he's pulling a like bottle of Jack Daniels out of his sock uh, and the uh, farmers at that dinner party we went to one time oh god posh farmers oh yeah we went to a party with some college posh farmers. Is whole thing Ag- well agricultural college is amazing because those kids were fully like um you know that's still like families who still own the land right yeah yeah yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah. so those are insane they, they fully insane. were talking like about morons as well because they haven't they haven't gone to a posh school and gone i will be curious about the world to fulfill my ambitions they've gone well i guess dad'll leave me the farm <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean um because yeah. I'm, I'm really obsessed with the drinking thing because it's fast. I feel like yeah. there's a certain class of like, if you meet an English person who sounds a bit posh and they will have a drink before 12 noon, like they are absolutely stratospherically posh and you should ask them more questions. Like, I mean, Princess Margaret was famous for like getting on the bevs at like 11 o'clock in the morning. But it's, but it's, there's also this like, um, her and the Queen Mother would just drink yeah, all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also like a formal occasion that you can use to excuse it. Like, you, there's part yeah, yeah, of you yeah. that can sort of laugh and go haha well it's elevenses isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's lunch yeah of course we have to have a bottle of jubon well, they, they might <laughs> even go well if it's good enough for princess margaret well i suppose we should start now my my brother and th- i think this might be a good thing to close on i used to do business with this guy who was like a big big like hedge fund investor guy um who i won't name but who would like he would get up very early to work because he was like the markets and whatever and was probably like had a very much like divorce in the post type situation going on and one time my brother phones him up and is like oh how's it how's it going this morning and the guy's like well not brilliantly to be honest Matthew and he's like why what's up and he goes like well he's like I got up at 6am had a bit of the old shake so I cracked open a gin and tonic and the wife took exception she's not been speaking to me all day (laughs) it's the um, it's the ability and Boris Johnson is the king of this the the, the, like we're not allowed to show emotion because these like rules of behavior that have been mm. set for hundreds of years don't allow us to so we have to like you become amazingly adept at like passing something off as a joke and mm. in the end it's just part of this like great tragedy of poshness where everybody's yeah. sad and everybody feels like they have to cling on to the things that probably didn't even make everybody happy in the first place um so it's basically all quite sad and i actually feel quite sorry for lots of them Oh, and one final archetype, which we is maybe go. one of the most depressing, is a posh army officer guy who, uh, like army officer guy, kind of a broad church, but posh army officer guy, either I'm going to do a short commission for four years and then get a job at JP Morgan or whatever, or the, the much weirder kind is like, my family have been army officers for 400 years. I'm going to become an army officer and I'm going to die in some kind of valorous way. It's definitely, it's a type of, and particularly when you read Wikipedia articles about World War II and like, and we talked about this on the, the, the Falklands, Falklands yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. H. Jones, just like d- stratospherically posh man who was like, I am going to die in a cool way. <laughs> like but I think it the- comes from just like lack of exposure to any danger anywhere else in your life. So you have to go yeah. seek it out. That's what the like posh daredevil thing comes from it's why there's a phil wang bit where he talks about why people in the west watch horror films he's like nobody in syria saw the babadook did they they're like (laughs) that's the thing we have we have to like force ourselves to feel fear because Mm. we actually genuinely don't know what it feels like yeah 
Well, this has been very informative. I, uh, I still, <laughs> don't, I still don't call him the Babadook. Call him Daesh. He hates that. I still feel like I uh, like I've got so much to learn, but at least I have like a little bit more of a vocabulary with which to understand it now. I think you've so. come a long way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, slowly yeah, but Honestly, matey, for a yank, you're all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, this this one's actually all right. Yeah, yeah he's you okay. Should, yeah. You should come for dinner at my club. No, mate, he's yeah. actually quite good chat. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get we'll get Toby and Prunella down. Do you want a Jaeger bomb? Nice. I didn't realize being posh meant living in 2001 for the rest of your oh, life. Oh, it does. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, hell yeah.